1: Today on Political Rewind. As Johnny Isaacson draws closer to retiring from the U.S. Senate, there's been a surge in well known applicants for his job. And now the first Democrat to announce he'll run for the Isaacson seat has launched his campaign. Plus, we'll have the latest on Washington's impeachment frenzy. Political Rewind starts now. I'm glad you're joining us today for Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Uh, let's get right to our panel and begin discussing the issues on our plate today. Let's start with DeKalb County CEO, Michael Thurman. Uh, Michael Thurman, we say this every time. You've been a state rep. You were labor commissioner. You have been De- uh, DeKalb County school superintendent. You ran for U.S. Senate back in 2010. You're all over the place and have been for, for a long time.
2: Thank you so much for inviting me back, Bill. And you left out the fact that you discovered me as a young backbench legislator back in
1: 1987. Yeah, it was a long time ago. We were both a little bit younger in those days, (laughs) Michael. (laughs) Across from you is Sam Olin. Sam Olin's former attorney general of the state of Georgia. And prior to that, a long career as Cobb County Commission chairman, now I always love to use it the phrase this way, now a partner at Denton's, the world's largest law firm. Hi, Sam. <laughs> All
3: 10,000 of us say hello.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're here today. Thank you. Uh, and we've got Professor Audrey Haynes with us today. She came in from Athens, which we appreciate. Uh, Audrey, of course, you're a professor of political science at the University of Georgia. And what we always like to mention with you is that you oversee the applied political science uh, uh, group. Yes, our program. Program, yeah. which helps train people for careers in politics.
0: Yes, we do. We have our largest uh, course uh, that we, I mean, our largest cohort that we've uh, taught over the last four years. We've been in existence for four years. And we talked to them about uh, political campaigns, uh, legislative work, uh, advocacy, and we were we were lucky enough to have um, Mr. Michael Thurmond in class at the beginning of the semester, and he just wowed the heck out of the students.
1: So, did he encourage people to get into politics? <laughs> well, to be honest, we
0: had a really um, far-reaching, candid discussion about public service, okay. and um, the the thing that most people took away is, uh, you know, uh, it's not just uh, but, it's and, right? It's like yeah. you can. Mm. It, it, to, to bring more people into the conversation. All right, all right.
2: right, students, and uh, she's an amazing professor. Yeah. yeah. You have to visit her class. Okay.
1: okay. Oh, he is. Okay. He all is. right, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that another time. Uh, all right, let's, let's go right to it. Audrey, as long as you have the ball, let's start with you. Uh, this has been an interesting week because, uh, of course, Governor Kemp, a few weeks ago, decided on a unique process. He uh, invited people to apply an application up online you can apply for the job of replacing johnny isaacson in the u.s senate and it was um it was an interesting approach uh and and for a while there it looked like some people were waiting to see what was going to happen and all of a sudden this last few days we've had some big names uh jump in to the application process uh jack kingston A former member of Congress from down in the Savannah uh, area has put his name in. Randy Evans, who is uh, uh, now the ambassador to Luxembourg, Luxembourg, but longtime Republican Party activist, Newt Gingrich's lawyer for a very long time. Um, We'll talk about some of the other names as well, but. What is this application process all about, anyway?
0: Well, uh, well, one, it's it's a clever new kind of approach, and uh, it sort of seemed to suggest that Kemp was going to do things a little bit differently. That he didn't want people, you know, calling up. And from what I hear, there was a, a large number of phone calls coming into the office about people who were interested. And he made the process a little bit more transparent. He made people put a little bit more on the line um, to put their name in that hat and uh, and it's really started a conversation about what kinds of individuals they might want to put in that position so perhaps we'll get some someone who's a little bit more unique and not the traditional uh, one we expect,
1: to Sam. Uh, what's in, one of the things that's interesting about it is there's no deadline, so you know it's time for you, <laughs> or for you, <laughs> not but, for me. Uh, the point is, given that there's no deadline, uh, y- y- people have to figure out they better get their application in, or suddenly could be cut off. I mean, it's, there's a lot of gamesmanship, it seems to me, in all of this.
3: Look, if you were uh, still thinking about it after Kingston Price. Uh, some of the new folks that, that, that came in, Evan, so you better get it in now because you yep. got to assume he's got more than enough names to review.
1: Yeah. Do we have the uh, list of some of the more uh, notable uh, people who have applied? Uh, and, and again, these are notable. These are not necessarily we have no idea who the insiders are for the job. But just read them up. Doug Collins. Tom Price, former uh, member of the U.S. House, and then, of course, went on to be HHS secretary. Let's talk about him as we go. Uh, Michael Thurman, you know, Tom Price, in his, when he was in Congress, was a pretty popular member of the House up, his, up in the uh, 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 <coughs> district that he represented in northwest Atlanta. But I just can't help but wonder, uh, he seems fairly close to Kemp, but... Um, he embarrassed the president when he was secretary of HHS by uh, getting involved in the uh, traveling, you know, in private jets when he shouldn't have been. I mean, it's it's the question is whether or not the president would be happy to see him uh, take that on.
2: That's a legitimate concern. But uh, as Professor Haynes was saying, you know, I've had some second thoughts about this process and what it really is and is not. And as it continues to unfold, and as you noted, some very uh, prominent Republican uh, politicians and leaders have placed their name in the hat, I'm beginning to think that this is really just a preview to the campaign that will occur. And just because Governor Kemp selects one of the 500, that does not exclude any of them from Mm -hmm. actually running themselves. And so as I look at it, if you are even contemplating or seriously consider Considering actually becoming a candidate, that it, it's almost a requirement that you actually seek the appointment as a prelude to your official candidacy, uh, and so any numbers of these fine citizens, and I encourage all of them actually to run, uh, put their name in the hat, and jump into the jungle primary, <laughs> and we could have thirty Republicans in the jungle primary against Joe, <clears throat> yeah, against some well-qualified Democrats. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> not necessarily me, but uh, but no, I, I really think if you're serious, if they're thinking about it, and we assume that just because Governor <clears throat> Kemp selects one, yeah. that the others may not still seek the office themselves, which they'll have every right to do. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. so some of this may be signaling, you know, so, and it, it also, in a way, by putting this in um, sort of this very open public area, there there is, there is sort of like a trial balloon. So Governor Kemp is smart. He gets to see what journalists are writing about it. He gets to hear what people are saying about the quality of these candidates. And it requires a certain kind of candidate. It's likely they want to get someone who can self-fund but also raise a lot of money. This is the person who is is going to be on the ticket at a time that is going to be important for the governor. So you want someone who... you know, is is going to be popular. So he has a chance to kind of hear what people are saying about these individuals, and that helps inform him a bit more as to who the best candidate is. So
1: there are three women, uh, three notable women. Uh, again, there are others out there, but we're talking about people whose names are recognized uh, in the state. Uh, Sam, uh, you have uh, Martha Zauer w- was in the mix. She, of course, worked for Sonny Perdue. She, she ran her Uh, for Congress at one point lost she went to work for I mean, for David Perdue I apologize and now she's back to doing her radio show pretty popular show that airs up in Gainesville she applied Uh, Jackie Gingrich Cushman a frequent panelist on this show daughter of Newt Gingrich and Jan Jones president pro tem of the house Um, what about those three names
3: so I think all those names are in play, but, but I want to go back to something you said before, I think sure. out of fairness. Uh, my understanding is the vast majority of those flights that uh, created some suspicion for Tom Price, Kellyanne Conway was also on. Mm. And uh, I think there was some politics involved in some of those discussions. And when you talk about anyone who's been hired by the president, much of the press is immediately willing to jump on them. Um, so I, I think you may have been a little harsh there with uh, Tom, uh, because uh, it, it made for a better story than the facts may belie. You know, all of those trips had to already have been approved by White House counsel. Uh, it, it, it wasn't a lark, okay? Shall, shall we say? But I think there's numerous uh, candidates in play. But let's face it: at the end of the day, the governor has that right, and he'll choose. Who he thinks will be best? I'm not sure they so much need to be a self-funder because there's going to be no shortage of money in this race.
1: Is um, but let's talk just in general about a woman being selected by the governor. Uh, you know, it, it, it wouldn't hurt the Republican Party to have a prominent woman on the ticket, would it? Oh, I
3: absolutely think that a woman or a minority would be a big, big gain. But let's note that, for instance, as you look at the presidential election, a lot of the front runners are all white, a lot white men. So the party that represents more diversity seems to have a shortage of leading candidates that aren't Caucasian. Yeah. I think we're in a given time where a minority and women deserve more attention and more support in both parties.
1: You know, Michael, you're being a little mischievous when you say you invite <laughs> all of the Republicans who are signing up, uh, and applying to join the jungle election. And let's make sure people understand. We, we want to remind them every now and then about how this works. There will be no, this is the Johnny Isaacson seat. Yes. It isn't up till 2022. But since he is retiring from the Senate at the end of this year, the governor gets to replace someone through twi- through next year, can't, can't t- hold the seat by state law all the way to 22, gotta be in a special election next year on the same day as the uh, presidential election in Georgia. Got it right so far? Oh, absolutely. But it's not, a pr- there'll be no primary.
2: No primary. Democrats
1: and Republicans all on the same ballot. And uh, one person will emerge on election day, or if nobody gets 50%, there'll be a runoff among the top, between the top two, right? Yes, On January
2: 5th, 2020. Okay, but, but 21. 21.
1: 2021. 2021. But, 20, who's, yeah. but who's looking?
2: <laughs> I'm not certain, but I, I want to focus on something you you, you see that I think is extremely important when you reference the Johnny Isakson seat. And his career has demonstrated that it's not just about rep- partisan politics. And I think the legacy and that he has developed for that seat uh, suggests that whoever it is, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat, it has to be someone who recognizes that America first before party and partisanship. And that's what I hope will occur through the jungle primary, that we continue his legacy of reaching out across the aisles and oftentimes to his own detriment, speaking truth to power uh, whenever the uh, opportunity presented itself. So, Republicans and Democrats, but it is Johnny Isaacson's seat, and we have to continue that, uh, I think, if we're going to be successful, and that's what I hope will emerge from this political process
1: all right so i i told uh, in a conversation before the show with our producers i said you know i really should hold this question for the end of the show because if he says yes it probably changes the dynamic of the rest of the show are you in fact going to be a candidate for that open u.s senate seat your name is one of the tops uh, on the list and and i'm proud of that that there are people who
2: consider me to be qualified or have demonstrated leadership ability. But I've not made that decision. I'm very uh, focused on continuing to serve the people of DeKalb County. I'm celebrating the fact that we announced yesterday the hiring of an exceptional uh, uh, officer First woman in the history of DeKalb County to serve as the police chief. And uh, we'll see how it plays out. And uh, it's, it's been interesting. And you know I'm interested. I've said before on this show that there's only one cure for political ambition. And it's called formaldehyde. That's the only thing <laughs> right. really so gets out of your system. You, but
1: did, you did make a trip to Washington. Yes. You met with, did you meet with uh, Chuck Schumer with the minority leader?
2: I met with uh, the minority leader as well as the uh, campaign chair lady, uh, the senator from uh, Nevada.
1: Yeah, the DSCC. DSCC. And yeah.
2: So we had a conversation about Georgia and about the prospects in twenty uh, in the election coming up next year. But and the one thing I can share was a private conversation. Uh, but I think we have to really begin to build more consensus uh, right now. This. Point in the history of our nation, we need leaders, Republicans and Democrats, who can uh, kind of bridge the gap, reach across the aisles in the John Iserson mode and really do what's best for this nation. And I don't know whether that will sell uh, in Washington right now.
1: I wish I had it in front of me. I just don't. I feel bad that I don't have this in front of me, but you gave a quote. Uh, You issued a statement after that visit to Washington in which you talked about your experience in elective office. You talked about, you consider some of the successes you've had. You sure sounded like somebody about to announce he was running.
2: Well, no, I am running. I'm up for re-election in Cal in <laughs> County <laughs> right. uh, next year. But I've not made the decision. I, I'll just be honest, you know, and I'm not being coy on yeah. any of the things. Uh, my point is, you know, I've spent my life, I've built my life around working with people, uh, with Democrats and Republicans and independents. And I'll be honest with you, B, I just don't know whether that works in Washington right now. And you got to have a skill set that meets the moment. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not, I want another one of my favorites saying the last refuge of a scoundrel is extreme partisanship. Yeah. And so when we see that, I want to be able to get things done. And one of the criticisms of Washington is you can't get anything done. So if I go up there, I'll be a unique individual, Uh trying to build a consensus, trying to actually solve problems around healthcare and the economy, which is what people really want.
1: You know, know, Audrey, it's interesting to hear uh, what Michael just said, uh, because there is a question now. Look, the United States Senate, you know, it's always been called the most exclusive club in the world, obviously it is that. You get a great parking space right on the hill if you're a member of the Senate. but what he's suggesting is really interesting. I remember when Zell Miller went from being governor to, to, to ending up in the United States Senate. He was terribly frustrated, very unhappy. I remember visiting him up there on a number of occasions, and he just he realized that he wasn't able to get anything done. In his case, here's a guy who had been the CEO of the state of Georgia, used to action, <laughs> making things happen. So there's a way in which it isn't unfair to ask why do you want the job, right?
0: Yes, it is, and, and that has changed. It used to be that the House was by far the more partisan body, and the Senate was a place where people came together and acted like grown-ups and solved problems. And over time, with polarization, the Senate has become as polarized in many ways as the House of Representatives. Um, but the one good thing I would mention uh, relative to... Um, Michael, is I talk to Republicans and Democrats all the time through the program that I run, and, and all of them seem to have nice things to say about you. So,
1: Sam, what about that? I mean, he, he, what Michael's point about the fact that there are a lot of people who are interested in this seat, but right now the partisanship is such you can't get a whole lot done.
3: Well, as someone who resigned as being Attorney General because yeah. he got tired of the partisanship, yeah, exactly. uh, don't look for me to disagree.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. You
3: know, when I had colleagues that were quoted as saying that they woke up every day getting ready for their next lawsuit against the president. Little did I know that with the next president, my former colleagues are suing even more. Yeah. Um, so the whole idea of being the state's lawyer sort of went by the wayside to being a hyperpartisan partisan statewide elected official. I totally agree with with Mike, and, and I think he's a great uh, public servant and an outstanding leader. Uh, But I'm not at all convinced that this country is actually ready for serious people that want to solve problems.
1: Um, Here's the quote. Uh, uh, Tom Faust uh, uh, just sent it to me. This is you, Michael. Uh, As a Democrat who served in statewide elected office for 12 years, I have some experience in winning elections with a broad coalition of voters. This was a good opportunity—the Washington trip—to listen to the National Party's plans for Georgia, uh, to provide my feedback. If we're going to win in 2020, national leaders will need to work closely with state leaders to build a strong get-out-the-vote infrastructure. Uh, uh, moving on from there, that raises another question I wanted to ask you about. There's been some uh, uh, there've been some expressions of concern. Most recently, John Ossoff who's now announced—he's in the David Perdue Senate race. He's running for that uh, to get, take on David Perdue. and and others who are speaking out and saying, hey, we thought Georgia was going to be a significant state in 2020. So far, the National Party is deploying resources to other states. They're not doing it here. We're not getting the attention we deserve. The response from National Democrats has been, look, it's early, but it's not too early for them to be working in other states.
2: Well, that's true. And I would hope that The national leadership will see uh, the importance of making uh, infrastructure investments uh, to get people to the polls. And one thing about voter registration, you just can't register Democrats. You have to register citizens. You're prohibited by law uh, to engage in partisan uh, registration. One thing, an article I read. This week that really encouraged me was the huge, uh, the significant increase in the number of registered voters uh, in the state of Georgia through the motor voter registration, you know, uh, the driver's license.
1: Automatic Automatic. registration. And that
2: much progress is being made in that regard. And I think that's very positive as it relates to the future of our our country. But Bill, we are at a critical moment right now. We really are. And if we look at, and I know you're going to get the impeachment and all the issues, but we have to really, really, uh, as Americans, step back and say, you know, there's no guarantee that we can maintain this greatest nation on the face of the earth, this constitutional democracy. We have to really work towards it mm-hmm. in order for it to continue to preserve itself and to grow and posture. And this, quite frankly, is at some risk uh, for the first time, unless we are very careful in how we move forward.
1: All right, Um, Audrey, uh, there is so far, it's interesting that um, while you've got a number of Republicans, lots of them, uh, applying to uh, be named and then presumably run for the seat uh, in 2020, and then again in 2022, which they're gonna have to do, uh, Democrats have not come forward to announce they wanna run in that uh, election except now we have our first. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I mentioned a little while ago that Jackie Gingrich Cushman, who has put her uh, application in and is a frequent panelist on the show, uh, the daughter of the former speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, she's in there. But now, now we have Matt Lieberman, who's lived in uh, Georgia for quite some time. He's been here, I think, since around 2005. He's an educator. Um, Now, Matt, has declared that he is, as a Democrat, going to run for that uh, Johnny Isaacson seat, and uh, you know the question about. Well, I'll tell you what, Audrey. Let me let's play just a little bit of his introductory video, and then I'll ask you to talk a bit about this first Democrat to jump into the Johnny Isaacson race. Nothing. They can't come up with any way to do anything. How many different ways can these idiots in Washington, are you serious? A million ways to do nothing.
0: As a single dad, he's always been pretty relaxed they and patient. Way. But these days, he's really worked up over how screwed up everything is in Washington.
1: The poor Disney has to hear it. I'm fed up, we're paying these people salaries, Disney.
3: Pancakes, oh, what's the occasion?
1: I'm running for U.S. Senate. That's the first 30 seconds of a two-minute introductory video. It's a, it's, it's, it's a fine video. It's a very fun kind of video, bringing his two daughters in the mix. But boy, taken on the U.S. Senate as your first race, his dad, of course, Joe Lieberman, uh, vice presidential candidate, longtime senator in Connecticut. That's a big, big job to suddenly decide you're ready to run statewide.
0: No, and in campaigns, we always talk about: is the time right for you? Is this the position for you? And if someone were to look at that race, and and Lieberman may see an opportunity here, but he may be the only one who sees that opportunity for himself. You know, he may not meet sort of the the criteria that we might expect for. Um, uh, a candidate who could actually win that seat. That's
1: I, I talked point. to his, uh, his communications guy the other day, Sam, um, uh, on the phone about this. I said, you know, how does he build a kind of a statewide base? And, and the answer is, essentially, they've got more than a year to do it. Well, yes, but still, you, you went from being Cobb County Commission Chair but as someone who had built a very, very credible reputation, one of the best known and best respected Republicans during your tenure there. So you had that as a starting point. But even for you, getting out there and campaigning statewide was a whole new experience. Yes.
3: It, you know, there was no history of a county or city elected official yeah. uh, becoming <laughs> yeah. a statewide. They come from the legislature. Yes. Yeah, I was it. Yeah. Right. Um, and the, the states beg. There's a lot of people. It takes a lot of time to get to meet a lot of people. Um, You need to have a base. You've got to have a base. You know, I had Cobb County. Mm -hmm. Mike has DeKalb County. And you get all the press that comes with being in metro Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Someone who hasn't previously run for office, maybe they ought to be gone three years or four years in Mm -hmm. advance.
1: What uh... Michael, his father, very well respected. You know, it's funny. His dad represents the kind of values that you talked about, uh, working across party lines, uh, a moderate. He 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 was a Democrat towards the end of his career in the Senate. He tended to lean more toward conservative issues. So in some way, so how much advantage is it to have a father of Joe Lieberman's prominence?
2: Well. I think it's a significant advantage I know Joe Lieberman. I worked with him and I campaigned for him. He's an excellent uh, public official and someone that provided insight and direction for those of us who were coming up through the DLC and were trying to create a more uh, centrist path to getting things done. Uh, But it's a tough race, but I enjoyed the the, the video. He has an opportunity, as we all do. And, you know, it doesn't have to make sense to us. It doesn't make sense to him. If you got the fire in the belly and if you're committed to it, then you have every right to run uh, for any office. It's a challenge. Uh, What Sam has said, and he underplayed the significance of his victory uh, to win statewide like that. Uh, And I always tell young, inspiring politicians, especially outside of 285, the water is cold and deep. And that's just the way it is when you're it statewide, but uh, Mr. Lieberman has just as much right and opportunity as anyone else, and, you know, I wish him well. All
1: right, I want to do one more thing, and then we got to get to a break, and that's, uh, uh, Audrey, let's talk just briefly, um, and, and by the way, we'll have a chance to talk about a lot of candidates moving forward, so not everybody gets their moment to, on today's show. Um, John Ossoffs jumped into the race. He came on Political Rewind uh, the other day to talk about that. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions that we asked him was, can you capture lightning in the bottle, essentially, a second time. He raised countless, 30-plus million uh, dollars when he ran in that uh, sixth district special election. He had uh, volunteers coming down here from all over the country to work for him. And he's the first to acknowledge it's going to be harder this time around.
0: Well, it will be harder. And, you know, I was talking to a Democratic Party operative, and they were talking about the money that was being raised and uh, concerns uh, from within the party that the current candidates weren't able to raise enough money. And that immediately after that, it was interesting because then John Ossoff sort of appeared. And I think they do think that he has the capability and, um, you know, the organizational apparatus to. Uh, To do well again, and he has name recognition. Um, He's he's built some bridges. It really is going to depend on the dynamics. But um, you know, one thing that's happening regarding money and just the campaign is that the national politics of the day have just been sucking so much of the time and energy and money. (laughs) And and it's like you know we're thinking about our state level campaigns, and you know. Back to what you were saying. Georgia has issues. Um, You know, we have things that we need to work on uh, and, you know, candidates who need to be talking about those things. But very often um, they get enmeshed in all of the things that are going on at the national level. And and that sort of hurts us in a way.
1: Yeah, Sam, I, I think that seems right. You're I mean, right. if you're struggling as a, if you are a Sarah Amico trying to get your campaign for Senate, you know, kick-started, um, uh, even Teresa Tomlinson, who has pretty good state name recognition, if all of the oxygen is being sucked out of the room by talk about impeachment, uh, you can still be out there campaigning, building an organization, but... It does have an impact, doesn't it? Of course it does.
3: And, and and frankly, um, I would have expected the Democratic Party to have done this brighter. Hmm. You, you don't need so many folks competing for those dollars already. Um, if I were a Democrat... Uh, I'd be looking for a bunch of Rs to be competing with each other and for the Democratic Party to show maturity as they historically have done better and to only have one or two leading candidates to be in a primary get together and be a united uh, party uh, in November. Um, I find it um, Sort of whimsical that everyone needs to jump in because they had two friends tell them that they're the best thing since sliced bread. <laughs> but, but they have a
0: social media following, yeah, so yeah. They, they're and, getting and, that reinforced and, all the time. And they
2: are great candidates. I know all of them, and I'm convinced that once the primary and the runoff is over, there'll be a coalition of Democrats working together because the one thing that that coalesces Democrats is. President Trump.
1: All right. I got to take a break. Tom <laughs> Faust is telling me in my ear we've got to do it now. And so <laughs> I do what Tom tells me. Uh, this is Political Rewind. We'll be right back. <laughs> you, you know, Sometimes it seems like the news cycle is one big runaway train headed way too fast to destination unknown. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. At
3: All Things Considered, we plan our daily voyage carefully and take the time to see the important sites
0: along the way. Don't worry, we'll still get you where you need to go. All Things Considered from NPR News. Enjoy the journey. Join us for All Things Considered this afternoon from 4 to 7 with Ricky Bevington right here on GPB and online at gpbnews.org.
1: Welcome back to uh, Political Rewind. Yeah, I wish we didn't have, you know, during the breaks, we should have the show in a box with audio up because you all are, you know, still uh, talking, which I think is terrific. Uh, all right. Real quick. We know that this past week uh, is no longer uh news, because it happened earlier in the week, Uh, federal judge Steve Jones put a hold, put a stay at the request of the ACLU representing a number of uh, groups that wanted to fight HB 481, the bill that all but outlaws abortion in Georgia. It will not go into effect January 1st as it was supposed to. Uh, Judge Jones recognized, of course, that it's going to play out in the courts for years, perhaps. but he did say that uh, his ruling was based on the fact that the Supreme Court has repeatedly upheld the right of a woman to have an abortion up till the time of viability of the fetus, which the court decided was 24, or 25 weeks. Okay, we know that, we know that case is gonna continue. Uh, but we now have learned this morning, Sam, that the, that the Supreme Court, which is gonna start its new session in the next week or so. Next Monday. They've added to their docket a case from Louisiana, which is really interesting. It is not a case about a ban on abortion. It's a case in which the state passed a statute which said that anyone who performed an abortion had to have admitting privileges at a hospital, which uh, pro-choice parties said that virtually eliminates most of the people who are providing abortions in the state. Now, one last thing, and then I want to ask you about it. The other reason that's so interesting is Texas had a similar law. The Supreme Court, when Kennedy was still sitting on the bench, took that up and they rejected that law. They said it is unconstitutional with Judge Roberts supporting it. But now this is interesting because they get another shot at it with a brand new, much more conservative court. Yeah.
3: Well, but facts are important too. So for instance, if, uh, if you're in a state with many abortion clinics and there are numerous doctors that have hospital privileges, that's a different fact pattern than if you're in a state with few abortion clinics and few doctors that have hospital privileges. It's a way to further limit the ability for anyone to have an abortion. Um, MY GUESS IS THE COURT WILL RULE AS BROADLY AS POSSIBLE, BECAUSE THAT'S WHAT SUPREME COURTS DO. AND MY GUESS IS IT WILL BE VERY FACT-DRIVEN BASED ON THE FACTS ON THE GROUND IN THAT STATE.
1: Um, AUDREY, WHAT SAM JUST SAID SOUNDS LIKE The Supreme Court that we think about when we read history books, not the Supreme Court since Bush v. Gore in 2000. Right,
0: because there have been some instances, too, where I think that they have uh, been deciding things almost so narrowly to be um, very particularistic in some cases because they're trying to stay away from or they're trying to manage the court to keep it above the fray and keep it um, uh, from being... Uh, as political. And it's interesting because there are a couple of cases where it seemed like Kavanaugh was doing that as well, along with John Roberts, to maintain sort of the power of the court at a time when, you know, Congress and the executive are literally destroying right, each other.
1: So I want to make sure because essentially both of you are suggesting. That we shouldn't necessarily, that however the court rules on Louisiana, we shouldn't necessarily assume that it tells us something about the ideological shift in the court to being more conservative, which then would raise yeah, the I, issue I, of how they're going to rule on 481 if it gets
3: Yeah, to that. I, I think the word broadly that I used was misconstrued in that okay. context. It's going to overtly be fact-driven. For the state of Louisiana, yeah. and it will have little applicability yes, that's to exactly any other right. state. We're in agreeing, yes, we but agree. I used the we word agree. broadly yes. that gave the the wrong yes. assumption. So by that I mean you're going to look, you're going to take a macro look on the facts on the ground in that one state mm-hmm. uh, as it relates to 481. Um, look, a bill's going to go up. Yeah, it's not going to be Georgia. Why not? Because if you're Seeking to take up a case to the Supreme Court, the case that has the the best fact pattern is going to go up. I would suggest to you uh, Alabama and Ohio, um, they make Georgia look liberal with regard to when a woman can have an abortion. They do. So the Supreme Court is not going to take up a six week bill if you could take up yeah. a bill that's Yeah, Alabama's there aren't is like a yeah.
1: it's virtually outlawed. outlawed. Right. Already. And
3: and the same with uh Ohio. Yeah. So you're going to choose the fact pattern that uh highlights the problem the
2: most. Michael, I, I think we should at least acknowledge uh Judge Steve Jones who followed uh precedent as it existed. And I think made the appropriate ruling. He's a person of great integrity, mm-hmm. uh, respected throughout the state of Georgia. Uh, but it was a difficult moment, and he rose to the occasion, uh, as he's done throughout his career. And, so we need yeah. to acknowledge that first.
0: And we're relying our courts, uh, relying on our courts now to to do that at a time where. Um, after they look at the facts on the ground in the court, so what will happen is we'll get to the political ground and everyone will ignore the facts on the ground. and and this bill and other bills like it, will become the fodder for uh, further polarization, fundraising. I've already seen the ads coming out. There's one that targets uh, state, uh, legislators who voted for it, and the language is voted to throw women in jail for having a miscarriage or abortion.
2: But and but there was very little criticism of the judge's ruling.
0: Very little, no, because I mean, it was...
2: He, he really issued the ruling and, and, and authored it in a way where he didn't politicize it,
0: which true. was the opportunity
2: that he did not take. And yeah. that's, I think, so
0: significant. That's Steve Jones? Yeah. N- number yes.
3: one, consistent with what Mike said, Judge Jones is a class act. Very respected jurist. Number two, he ruled the way you expected. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's the law. That's the law. The 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 district court decision is clear. It gets a little muddier when you take it to the 11th Circuit and potentially gets more muddy when you go to the U.S. Supreme Court.
2: One more thing. Can I add one more thing? Yeah, go ahead. There are Republican leaders who breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, when Judge Jones issued that ruling, because that means that this will not be an issue uh, in the upcoming state yes. elections. Oh, it's, it's gonna, gonna tra- be an issue. Uh, it won't be the issue that it would have been if it had gone in effect yeah. in January. I just promise you that. So in a way, it was a reprieve uh, in terms of the intensity of the issue. It will be an issue, but not the one it would have been, if this law was in fact operational in January of 2020.
1: Yeah, I that I wonder about uh, that Sam though. I mean, clearly the pro-choice groups have already got targets painted on the backs of those Republicans who are in districts they think they can uh, turn to democratic. So yeah,
3: to include those state reps who voted against the bill. Yeah such as Deborah Silcox. They immediately said they're going to oppose her because she's a Republican, even though she didn't vote for the bill.
1: Um, okay. All right. So we're going to watch how this unfolds. It, 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 it's going to be interesting to see even Louisiana will be an issue as the 2020 election moves forward. Let's talk about Houston. I think I'm now pronouncing it you are proper. Thank you. Uh, hushed it like i a didn't at Georgia, first
2: like a true georgian
1: i <laughs> didn't at first but thank goodness we had people who were listening to the show when we started talking about it like new how sold the boat to houston michael <laughs> michael as a, as a C, as a ceo wow who has dealt with a county now, I, I realize that, that the city of Decatur is not under your immediate jurisdiction, but the city of Decatur has certainly had an issue with, you know, dealing with how do we get right on how we, we feel about racial issues, Civil War monuments, that sort of thing, that monument at the Courthouse Square in Decatur. The point is, uh, race continues to animate so much of what's going on in our politics, and out in Hushton uh this week a superior court judge ruled that in fact the citizens group that's trying to put the mayor out of office uh can move forward with it, what they want to do her sin in their opinion is that they evaluated potentially uh, a potential african american candidate for the job of city manager and the mayor was uh, uh, caught saying, I don't think the city's ready for this yet. Uh, and it's become a big, a big big issue in that town.
2: Uh, absolutely. First, of course, if you, from news accounts, the majority of the people who are seeking to have the mayor and the councilman removed are not African-Americans. They are white yeah. residents Yeah. Of Houston. Hushton. Houston, Houston, Houston. 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 They Houston. Before you run they for Houston, Senate, honestly. you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's encouraging, but it's unacceptable. Uh, for anyone in any position uh, to make a determination as to whether or not a person will be hired or promoted based on their race or their religion or their gender. is unacceptable and there are no excuses for it. And no amount of dissimulation by the people can actually uh, uh, alleviate or remove that blight. And I think the citizens who are advocating uh, to have them removed or doing the right thing, uh, it's their right as citizens to pursue this uh... but it will be a decision ultimately made by those residents the, the judge who made the ruling that they could go for uh... is a former superior court judge, judge uh, from athens as well and uh... so i just think the process will play out but there's no excuse
1: continuing the theme that we seem to have established in this show uh, audrey which is let's all figure out a way to cry, you know to work together as uh, mike thurman's theme uh, Both the chair of the Republican Party in Houston or in the county, Jackson County, and the Democratic Party chair are working together on this. They agree.
0: Well, and they recognize that, you know, if if their city is going to grow and develop, it's really stupid to sit there and reject someone who is fully qualified and might bring some benefits. But moreover, you create this this, uh, environment where people you know, do not feel like they wholly belong or or, or are are equal part and that, that hurts your town. You know, a town is a team, right? It takes a lot of effort to, to to make it grow, especially when there are economic challenges. So the other thing I would mention is sometimes you wonder about um, sort of the training and the information that people are getting, you know, were were they fully informed? Did they not recognize that there was some accountability to what they did? I mean, is it, you know, do we need to do a better job of teaching people who are working in government what the rules are? You think that there would be that, but um, a democracy requires accountability, and it looks like the city itself is making the uh, uh, the people who are governing them accountable for their
3: actions. There are a lot of people that win elections that are really foolish. <laughs> foolish.
0: I foolish. thought you were going to say something else. Uh,
3: yeah, you <laughs> were A victory does not designate intelligence. Um, well, I think we could all you know, agree on look, that. For, for too long, African Americans heard uh, racist comments and didn't speak up. For too long, Jewish people heard anti Semitic comments. Yeah. And didn't speak up. They didn't want to cause a commotion. They didn't want to cause a fuss. One of the few positives that's occurring now in our political speak Mm -hmm. is it's no longer accepted when you hear comments that uh, are full of racism, anti-Semitism, etc. It's one of the few good things that's occurring now when you call people out and you say that is not acceptable, that is not behavior that anyone should have, whether they're a school teacher, a mailman, an elected official. And to me, it's open and shut. I know how you vote. You get those people out of office. Absolutely.
1: Sam Olins uh, you uh, uh, some time ago now d- decided it was time to speak out about what you, as an elected official and as a candidate for office, faced at times in parts of the state where you heard comments about your Judaism and uh, you you did finally uh, talk about it very openly, and it was it was I think an important moment for all of us that you were willing to do that
3: well, but way before me, uh, Justice Benham, who was in seeking you know. reelection was literally told by the GBI, I believe it was four counties, that they advised him not to campaign in mm-hmm. because they were concerned about his protection. Yeah. Um, and, and let's put another card on the table that isn't politically popular. The South is no more racist, no more bigoted than <laughs> the North. You have idiots that live throughout <laughs> the world. Right.
1: I, I, I've got to share a personal story. I'm sorry, but it's really relevant to what you're saying. It's pertinent. Um, I'm, the last campaign I covered as a reporter in Chicago, the last election I covered was the election of Harold Washington, the first African-American mayor of Chicago. Mm-hmm. It was a horrifying race to be in par- a part of. We would go out on the, on the campaign trail with, with Harold, and there would be people who would throw rocks. They'd mm-hmm. throw bottles. It, it was horrendously racist in the way it was played out. Um, When I subsequently announced about six months after Harold was elected that I was moving to Atlanta, uh, my friends around me said, you're going to go to Georgia? How can you possibly live with the racists in the shop? <laughs> mm-hmm. oh. Michael, my response, are you kidding? Did we all just live through <laughs> the same mayor's race? Right, on the right. <laughs> and, and the
2: racism is always there. You have to manage it, and you can't allow how people might feel define who you are. And that's what my mother always taught me. And there are people who are not going to like you because you're black, but that's okay. That's okay, and she says, "Yeah, what's what's in your head? Can no man take it away? And no matter how much they hate you, don't you allow that hate to become a part of who you are and how you look at the All world? Right. And you know, it's always there. Uh, just and, and you, it's interesting. We we're talking about race and gender, and I mentioned I'm proud of my new police chief, who's the first woman in the history of the Cap County to serve in that mm-hmm. position, but." That was a point in time in the discussion where it came up, can a woman really do the job? Yeah, yeah. And I was asked that question. Do you really think a woman can do the job? By supposedly one of my intelligent advisors, who no longer employed it. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But but, you know, but it's real, it's still a part of it. And you know, and and what really, uh, and I told people, I used to be the biggest chauvinist, probably in the state of Georgia, until December 17, 1990. And that's the day my daughter was born. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I'm a raving <laughs> feminist. You know what I mean? Right. Sam, yeah. you get the last word. We I gotta was, get I I the was break. just going to
3: mention that uh, when Bill Byrne was elected chairman of Cobb, he announced shortly after the election that David Hankerson was going to be the new county manager, an African yep. American gentleman. That may have been the best decision Bill could ever make in politics. Yeah. Because that sent a really good message about the new Cobb County, and David Ankerson was an absolutely fantastic. He was great. Manager. You worked Dave. with me. you worked absolutely. He was a
1: great city manager. He was a great well, public Dave's servant. A
2: He's a legend in local government. All right, I gotta
1: get we're way late for our final break of the show, so let's get it in and we'll come back and just have a few minutes left on political rewind. The, the same. From Morning Edition and On Second Thought to Political Rewind and All Things Considered, listener support makes everything you hear on GPB
3: possible. If we didn't hear from you during our fall fun drive, your contribution now will still make a difference. Please take just a couple of minutes to support the programs you rely on and enjoy on GPB and do your part now at whatever level is right for you. Go to gpb.org and click Donate. And thanks so much for your support of Georgia Public Broadcasting.
1: So we're uh, running pretty short on time. I I want to talk about two individuals, if I can, Uh, two individuals that uh, we all, I I shouldn't say Audrey, I'm not sure if you've known them, but I know these two gentlemen have. Uh, The first is a bad news story. Uh, You served in the legislature with Dean Alford, who had a distinguished career in the legislature. He was, among other things, chairman of the Mardra Oversight uh, Committee. He, at one point, was chair of the DeKalb County uh, delegation. Um, he had a pretty fine career in business and has served until just this week on the board of regents. He's been forced to step down and now is facing some pretty significant potential criminal charges. He's been arrested and there are investigations underway for, um, financial dealings that we don't even have time to get into, but, uh, it's a, and and we don't, we're not going to decide that. Dean offered is, is guilty now, but we've all dealt with him and worked with him, and it's always shocking. No, absolutely, when somebody you've known and in your case certainly worked with. We served together,
2: as Democrats, and I'll emphasize these are charges not yet proven, right. so he's still innocent. Uh, but it's uh, sad and disappointing, and you know I know his kids, my daughter, and they all attended school together. So we're just going to pray for him and his family and hope things
1: work out. Um, Governor Kemp moved very quickly on this, Sam. And issued a very firm statement about it. it this, there was none of this equivocating. There was none of this, Dean Alford decided he should turn in his resignation. The governor was firm. He made it clear, you can't serve if you're going to face this kind of accusation.
3: Well, the allegations also related to the university system, yes. which made it that much harder yes. to mm-hmm. not immediately leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so Audrey, uh, we just continue to deal in situations where uh, self-dealing It just we don't escape it.
0: We don't. But uh, I will say it was good to see uh, how the governor reacted to it. And one of the the positives that we can look to is that our governor seems to take his time, make good decisions. And and he has an opportunity with the Senate race to make an impact on what we were just talking about, maybe bridging some gaps, um, growing the reach of the party in a way that invites more people in.
1: All right. um, We'll follow that case and see how it develops. But uh, Sam, the other person I want to talk about briefly, and I turn to you on this uh, because you certainly knew him well. Um, When you left uh, the chairmanship of the Cobb County Commission, you had big, big shoes to fill. Um, uh, Tim Lee uh, Mm -hmm. came in and Uh, Ran the county uh, once you were gone. He is best known probably in a negative way. There are people who are he's very controversial for the way in which he brought the Atlanta Braves to what became SunTrust Park. But talk. He passed away just about a week ago. He was a I knew him pretty well. Despite how you feel about about the Braves, uh, Tim Lee was a gentleman in the best sense of the word, wasn't he?
3: No, Absolutely. I mean, he followed me as commissioner, followed me as chair. Uh, Very honest, uh, full of integrity. Uh, Always did what he thought was right for the community. Um, I think that uh, over time, that uh, decision to bring the Braves is looking better and better. <laughs> yeah. And when you look at all the development around there, and as Mike knows, if you get offered that type of opportunity, you better keep it really quiet while you're negotiating or there will be no such opportunity.
2: Absolutely. As it relates to his legacy, I knew and You know, history cast the final ballot. Mm -hmm. So we will see how history judges Tim Lee. Uh, The only thing, and I told him this uh, back when we were serving, he was a horrible politician. (laughs) <laughs> right because he just always told you exactly what was on his mind <laughs> you know he equivocated that fast yes time, you knew him better he was just yes. the worst politician in the world but he was an honest man full of integrity I uh, love Cobb county and yes. actually as sam said uh the brave decision is looking better and better if you look at the uh the energy and the economic development taking place around the new stadium uh it, it's one of the hot spots in Metro Atlanta.
1: Well, I admired him among other reasons that because he also is a huge supporter of the arts, as were you when you were uh, chair of the, of the uh, commission. He was he was out there helping uh, you know he had the, the sport, he had the braves on one side and he was always looking for ways to uh, enhance the arts community of Cobb County. So I just wanted to take a minute to remember uh, Tim Lee, who who met a lot to, a lot of people. Good man. That's about it for our show today. Um, Audrey Haynes, Michael Thurman, Sam Oldins, thank you for being here. I I do want to make one final quick statement. We didn't talk about impeachment at all today. And I I want you to know that as we move forward, uh, our team... Is having a lot of conversations about how much of our time we want to take up with the uh, incredibly consequential and important events unfolding with the impeachment in Washington. And as events are important, we do intend to talk about them. But we also want to remember that this show, we believe, is important to you in part because we talk to you about what's happening in our state, in our communities. And if we forget that balance, I think we're doing you a Disservice. So we'll talk impeachment, but we'll continue to focus when we uh, believe it's right on that, but always talk about the state of Georgia. Tell us if you think we're right about that. Talk to us on social media. I'm Bill Nigat. I'll be back again with you for a new political rewind Monday at 2.